the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. Cautious optimism used to be the standard executive non-committal phrase for forecasting the unforecastable in earnings calls. Any CEO currently venturing beyond limited visibility or uncertain market conditions in their apparently endless supply of vague synonyms is either a liar or delusional. More accurate response would likely involve an emoji in screaming terror. When the double-hulled optimism of even container line bosses start to buckle, you know you're in trouble. Joining me this week to discuss the prospects of the shipping industry amid a coronavirus pandemic, I'm delighted to say we have Managing Director of Shipping Strategy Limited, Mark Williams. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hello, Richard. Thank you very much. Now, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast from the start, you will be well familiar with Mr. Williams' voice. Uh, He is, to my mind, one of the best analysts in the business and has gone solo with his shipping strategy business. But it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, Mark. But my, how the markets have changed. Just a bit. Just a bit. I think the last time uh, we were talking, we were very uh, optimistic about the outturn, at least for the tanker markets. And so it turned out to be at the time for perhaps not exactly for the reasons that we expected no Uh, no. let's 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 look at what the data is telling us i was reading one of your very interesting reports focused on the dry bulk markets just this week and i mean fair to say that you know we like everybody else you are looking um somewhat uncertainly at what happens next the hope is i guess that uh, you know q2 is pretty much done in terms of economic output but what happens beyond that is very much dependent on on a number of factors. But the the optimist is looking for a V-shaped recovery. The uh, the U-shaped recovery, I guess, is a possibility. God forbid we end up with the the dreaded L-shaped recovery. Where where do you fit in the alphabet of what happens next? Uh, our base case scenario remains the V-shaped recovery. Um, if we if we go back to what the world looked like before coronavirus erupted, then it looked like we were going to have a fairly weak first half of 2020 all the leading indicators like consumer confidence indices or business confidence indices or pmis had all been turning down um, from their peaks um, in mid 2018 so that was the peak of the economic cycle and it looked like peak to trough was going to be about 18 to 24 months so the global economy would have bottomed out sometime in the first half of 2020 um we all got a bit excited at the end of 2019 because we had a, a strong dry cargo market in the second half of 2019 and we had that extraordinary spike in the baltic dry index in september october um particularly for the dry cargo and then of course we had the the boom in the tanker markets because of the abcake attack and various things that were going on in in the in the middle east um but uh you know even before coronavirus erupted we were back on track in the cycle to to be slowing down in the first half of this year and our anticipation was that global gdp would you know bottom out at around about 2.5 maybe 3% growth for the first half of this year and then and then would reaccelerate um we thought there'd be some stimulus programs from from china along the bri this year and we also anticipated Um, Some efforts from uh, the Trump administration to drive the economy in the US, because that's what will win President Trump re-election in November. So then, of course, all of this got blasted apart entirely um, by the arrival of coronavirus. And a lot of Western countries 
and a lot of Western investors were slow to realise both the depth and the extent of the coronavirus slowdown. And now, you know, investors around the world are, are taking fright about is it going to be a recession or a depression? Um, the Federal Reserve has promised unlimited resources to support the uh, US economy. Um, the, uh, the US Congress has just announced its two trillion dollar um, stimulus program um, that's finally been agreed. Um, you know, we've seen what the Chancellor of the Exchequer has done in the UK and um, we've seen slower moves across the European Union. And we'll see more of this spreading around the world because, in effect, what's happened is that governments have shut down the private sector and therefore they have to nationalise the economies for the duration. Mm. And then how we get out of the recession or if it becomes a depression rather depends on how quickly governments are allowed to reprivatize the economies and, and hand back control of investment in new productive capacity to corporations because the chances are that if governments stay in control of it they're not going to be particularly forthcoming with new investment having just blown their entire um, you know five-year budgets on um, on keeping everybody's heads above water during the virus. No, no. And as you have pointed out on more than one occasion, whereas with the comedy and shipping, everything is timing. Uh, and a lot is going to depend on when we see that money, when we see the stimulus packages hit, when they end, when they start. And, and little of that is clear yet. And that, I guess, is going to affect ultimately the seaborne trade conditions um, and, and, and whether we sort of end the year back in recovery mode and, and write this year off as a, a bit of a bad dream or uh, there will be further issues to come, I guess. I mean, it, and I think that's that's the thing. But as horrific as this does look, uh, certainly at a, a public level, a consumer level, the, the actual fundamentals of, of, of shipping probably haven't disappeared. I mean, they're just on pause, surely. Very much so. Um, let's take a look at the different sectors. So dry cargo is largely dependent on, on, on China for its demand and it's dependent on China's steel output. And that steel output is now recovering um, because of the difficulties of moving things like coal from northern Chinese steel mills to southern Chinese steel mills. The Chinese have been allowing more imports from Indonesia and Australia. So, in fact, March looks like it's going to be a big um, bumper month for uh, coal imports uh, to China, thermal and coking coal. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, during the crisis, we actually saw the Baltic Dry Index rise a little bit, didn't it? it bottomed out at what was it, about 411 points. It rose to 630 or so, and it's it's come off about 60 points since then. But it did actually go up during the outbreak in China. So, the fundamentals are still there. Um, China is going to work very hard to get its manufacturing output. Um, moving again this year, um, being a command economy, it's it's still going to produce stuff whether or not there's demand for it. They have mm. plenty of room for inventory. We're seeing flat steel prices starting to come off in China, which suggests that they're producing despite a lack of consumption. And it may take a while to get the construction industry going again in China. And the People's Bank of China has announced various liquidity measures to get construction moving again. So, China is, is still going to be the main driver for the dry cargo markets. China also buys the dip. You know, back in 2009, during the Great Recession, China saved the dry cargo markets for absolute disaster because they hoovered up every available ton of spot iron ore when the price fell from well over $100 a ton back down to $60, $70 a ton. And, and so dry cargo demand overall 
barely fell in 2009, whereas, you know, we saw the demand for, for instance, for container shipping fall by over 10%. Mm. So that's still there. Um, I think in the container shipping market, well, unfortunately, the other companies are the most exposed to the shuttering of consumption in the OECD economies, which drive 85% of the demand for um, for container shipping. So, uh, you know, the fact that the high street is closed down across the Western world is going to be disastrous uh, for demand for container shipping. And that may take a while to come back. You know, we all talk about three, is it three months, is it 12 weeks but un- until the lockdowns start to relax? I think several line of companies will struggle for cash flow if they have to wait that long for demand to come back. So well, I think we're certainly of- seeing seeing that already. The likes of Pill, Pacific International Lines was, was struggling well before coronavirus kicked in. The cash flow issues are really going to start crunching on 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 some of the the lower end of the box market, as far as we can see. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, like, you know, the banks have all been given massive liquidity uh, from the central banks, and my uh, contacts in banking tell me that the, there is money to be had. And you know, whether that's on revolver facilities or long term debt, there's money available, but at what cost? So. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be difficult for these guys to restructure their balance sheets when they've got big redemptions coming up in the light of no demand. But they may find that there are facilities available to help their cash flow situation in the short term if their lenders believe that their fundamental business is still sound. That's mm. the question. Mark. Indeed, indeed. And thank us. I mean, very rich history of uh, making uh, Hey While the Sun Shines, uh, you know, there, and they've certainly uh, made the best out of an interesting uh, couple of months on, on, the, on the tanker side. But we're already seeing the, the highs plummet down to slightly more reasonable levels. Fair to say we've uh, seen the, uh, the ceiling hit and bounce back off again on, on the VLCC market. Do you see any stability there? Yeah, it has come off, hasn't it? Dear, oh dear, the poor VLCC owners are only making $100,000 a day on a, on a Middle East to China <laughs> voyage. Um, yeah, that's uh, as as we end Q1 and go into Q2, which is seasonally uh, uh, a fairly uh, fairly moribund quarter in the tanker market. So it's, that's pretty good going, really. Mm. Um, again, it's about China buying the dip. The last uh, cyclical high in the VLCC market came in 2000. 15 and 15 and um, and that was largely because china had built up its strategic petroleum reserve by buying cheap oil when the oil price fell in, in 2014 uh, which arrived very fortunately for them at around about the time that they were building up their strategic petroleum reserves they started with 18 days of reserves and they finished 2015 with about 50 days of reserves mm. so they may well Despite the lack of demand and despite the glut of gas oil in the global markets, they they may well continue to buy what the Saudis have. But uh, it, well, the tanker markets really all depend, don't they, on how long Saudi sustains this surplus output and um, and and what that does to all the other producers. I I have an inkling that the Saudis, having announced that their their production targets for April and May, may get to June and say, okay, we've made our point, uh, and they they may bring the production down a bit. A return to reasonable politics? Surely not. Um, the, um, the, I mean, the oil, the oil situation. We, we've been looking a lot of the uh, the potential for floating storage 
difficult given the uh, current freight rates but you know still the the the, the market fundamentals suggest it, it could be possible and we're certainly seeing more interest in that but what about the land-based storage i mean you mentioned the strategic reserves and the build-up i mean compared to where we were the data i've seen from the uh, joint organization data initiative that, that does suggest that there is room for a stockpiling of oil uh, certainly within china do you think that's going to be driving some of the sentiment in the market right now yeah, I, th- I think traders look at the contango. It's it's wide enough and long enough for them to say it's worth taking a position. There is uh, plenty of available shoreside storage. Uh, you know, if you look at the U.S. data, uh, the Americans are not sticking out very far above the top of their five-year range for mm. uh, for oil inventories. So, um, you know, the Chinese have got plenty of storage. Even in Europe, there's 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 plenty of pre-salt storage available. Um, there's lots of it about. So before we end up um, pouring oil into tankers, we've usually got every saucepan in the world under every sink filled with oil. You know, before we turn to before we turn to the tankers. So I think that that buying behaviour may continue, but by itself, without consumption, it's it's, it's not enough to drive a, a spike in the markets. We still need that economic activity and the consumption of refined petroleum products at a profitable level for refiners to come back. Indeed, indeed. Um, what about elsewhere? We've covered dry, we've covered the the tankers. I mean, some of the other sectors do seem to be struggling a little bit. We've seen car carriers go into layup, uh, passenger ferries obviously doing very limited business. I mean, do you see any other sort of risk areas for shipping to worry about? Uh, well, the offshore business is clearly going to struggle as a consequence of lower um, oil and gas prices. Uh, and I think a lot of the oil field services businesses are already struggling and, and offshore will go with them. So um, there's, a, there's a big question mark over that. You know, gas prices are as cheap as, as they could be. Um, there's no incentive to consume at the moment. So, so um, that, uh, that could pose problems there. Give us give us some optimism to end on. You mentioned in your report that there were opportunities for bold moves uh, for those with cash and conviction. Give me give me give me a, a, an optimist view of of where you think there there could be an upside here. Well, I still think that the the global cyclical fundamentals are are still there underneath the coronavirus epidemic. So so let's assume the optimistic scenario of the virus does not mutate and therefore anyone who gets it has immunity um, and that a vaccine is produced by the end of 2021 mm-hmm. then um, so the medical situation gets under control the economic situation gets supported by central banks pulling monetary levers making liquidity available cheaply and governments pulling fiscal levers that is borrowing to invest in things like infrastructure um, and therefore, we get a return to employment uh, and demand comes back to the global economy, which then drives the the global um, economic cycle back to where it should be, which is, in our estimation, um, that the cycle bottomed out in the first half of 2020 and recovers to a cyclical peak either in 2022 or 2023. So on that basis, actually, most of the shipping sectors have an opportunity to align and you might see a recovery, not so much like uh, the one after SARS, but perhaps more like the one after the Asian financial crisis, mm. uh, when all the different shipping sectors started to recover at the same rate. And then, of course, China joined the WTO at the end of 2001, and we had a, a great six or seven years. Well, let's hope so. 
uh, I'll hold you to that and uh, we'll get you back on the podcast at the top of the V. Um, for now, though, uh, Mark Williams, Managing Director of Shipping Strategy Limited. Thank you very much for joining the Lloyds List podcast. Thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to be back.